Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Hey, welcome to you. If we've never met before, my name is David. I am the site pastor of Exeter and have the incredible privilege of being on the teaching team. I hope that this conversation is going to be one that brings clarity to mind and gives you peace to your heart as we wrap up this series today. I know that God is moving in this space and a lot of us are exploring and growing in the truths of Jesus And we believe that as we commit ourselves um, to Jesus and his church, there is a way to life that brings uh, fruitfulness and beauty and wonder. Like I said, we're wrapping up a series today called Fear Less. And we've been looking at an Old Testament character and personality by the name of Gideon. In week one, thinking about fear, we looked and stepped into the life of Gideon where we saw that God promises his presence in his life, which then in that promise reshapes the outlook on Gideon's life where God becomes the source of his energy and his strength. And we realize that God does the exact same thing for us when we understand that his presence is with us. Then we gain this understanding and realization that we actually have authority to overcome our fear that we have in life. Last week, we looked and explored at the profound transformation of Gideon when it comes to his identity. He was a fearful man. But as he understood the identity that God calls upon him, he becomes a faithful man and embraces the words that God speaks over his life. That conversation's full intent was to inspire many individuals, but also us as a community to courageously embrace our unique assignments that God gives us, the word that he speaks over our lives. Today, we're gonna be looking at Judges chapter six, verses 25 to 27. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you don't, I'll read it and it'll be on the screen for us. This is an incredible moment because God is present with, with Gideon and he's speaking to him face to face. So let's read this together. It says, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now in this text, we just read, our goal today is to look specifically at how Gideon was able to dismantle fear with obedience because he was moving from a place of victory and how God saw him. God had already told him that he would defeat the Midianites and the Midianites were the people that were uh, uh, over top of Gideon and his people and God's people. And God said, you will defeat the Midianites as one man. And what's interesting is here, we need to understand that as, as we grow in clarity of the promise and the presence of God, the pronouncement of who he says we are and how he sees us, we will move in obedience, trusting that the outcome of our lives is God's outcome, not ourselves. But to get there, we cannot neglect God's guidance in our lives. 
We just read verses 25 to 27. And this is this moment where Gideon starts walking and taking steps forward in the things that God had for him. How do you get there though? Like I know for me through the series, I, I've been reading through the story. Maybe you have as well. And you can notice that Gideon, as he's stepping forward, it's a story of actually growing in his faith in God. Because as we've journeyed through this series and the story, we see that Gideon is a man of colorful emotions like anxiety, self-doubt, identity crisis. And the most prominent one is fear. I want to lean into the few verses before I just read, 19 to 24, because I really believe that this Verse, these few verses actually bring clarity to why this is such a massive turning point to Gideon and growing in his understanding and grasp that God's presence is truly with him in this moment. And it all happens through an angel of the Lord appearing to Gideon. He's finally allowing God's word that he spoke over him and to him to actually become his true identity. He's, he's gaining strength. He's gaining wisdom and knowledge of how God sees him. And in this moment with the angel of the Lord, Gideon says like, I, I don't want you to leave me. I want you to stay with me. I actually, I actually have a gift for you. So he tells the angel, stay here. I have a gift. So he starts preparing a meal for him and the angel instructs him to take the meal, to take the gift that he has and place it on the rock before him. So Gideon takes the meal, he takes the meat and the unleavened cakes that he's been preparing before the angel and he places it on the rock. And in that moment, the angel is described as taking his staff, touching the rock with his staff and an all-consuming fire comes from the rock and takes all of the gift that Gideon has given him and consumes it and vanishes right in front of Gideon. In <laughs> this moment, you got to imagine, Gideon's probably like, okay, what is going on? But we get a picture of what actually happens in this moment as the angel does this and vanishes. Gideon's eyes are opened and he says in verse 22, alas, O Lord God, for now I know I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The presence of God is so real with Gideon. See, I, I believe this section is a crucial one for our conversation because it, it actually helps us see and realize that Gideon is very much like ourselves. Gideon's story has four moments where God reveals his presence and Gideon still doesn't get it every time. But finally, the man is grown and is revealed to himself that the living God wants to move and use him to glorify God. All of these moments in Gideon's life actually finally allowed him to proclaim and to confess saying like, alas, I have seen God in the flesh through this angel. His fear that once riddled him was now becoming a backseat passenger. It was not the driving force of his life. And when he was starting to realize this and internalize this for himself, that the promise of God and his presence was there, he was beginning to see his kingdom assignment that God needed him to walk in. And with his mouth proclaiming, confessing, I have seen God face to face, it leads him to get those spicy instructions from God from the verses that we read right off the hop, 25 to 27. God gives him the instructions of, you shall go forward and destroy the altar of Baal and destroy also the Asherah pole. This is interesting and pretty profound because as you do digging and looking and reading the fuller picture of the story, you see that this is actually Gideon's personal family pole of worship. 
His dad actually created it. The altar was there to worship other gods. And God's saying, you shall tear it down. You're going to destroy it. And in that place of where they created one, you're going to put my altar and you're going to sacrifice a bull there for me. No other God. See, the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole was a symbol of idol worship of God's people. And the Asherah pole actually represented worship to a goddess who was seen as the goddess of sea and good fortune. And the instruction from God was to take it down. And as you open this story up, if you're someone that loves studying, you'll see that this is not new for God. This is really not new for God at all to instruct his people to take down the altars to other gods. It actually says in Deuteronomy a few times that God instructed his people um, to take these things down. Deuteronomy 12 says this, you shall tear down all altars and their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. In Deuteronomy 16, God says to his people, you shall not plant any trees as an ashram beside the altar of your Lord God, of your God that you shall make. You shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. So here's God telling Gideon, uh, I need you to walk in this. I need you to actually obey my word. If I'm going to partner with you, if I'm going to move through you and deliver you to the Midianites, you need to get rid of everything that is getting in the way of me moving because you are doing evil in the sight of the Lord your God. Gideon in this moment, I can just imagine thinking of the teachings for Deuteronomy that he would have known the weight of this. The instructions of God actually create a little bit of fear inside of him because he knows that as he's growing in his kingdom assignment, he has to obey God. But the actions of his obeying to God would actually lead to death within his community. People would be angry. It's a big responsibility to walk in God's obedience. You may look odd. You may look weird. It may not make sense to people. But Gideon knew that he had to do these things. And with that, it was a heavy-weighted task tough for him to do. The actual writer records that because he was afraid, he did it in the darkness of night, but he still obeys. That's what's fascinating. Fear is starting to diminish. It may still be there, but he was still being obedient because he wanted to please God. He wanted to work with God. He was allowing the call of his life to actually become something true. Fear did not have a hold on him. As I was studying this week, I was reflecting on Gideon's obedience and something sparked within me. Gideon has now begun to walk and step with God in his kingdom assignment and to own our kingdom assignment, which is really God's kingdom assignment. We need to remove the things in our lives that we worship that are not of God. Let me be clear with other words. There are idols in our lives that we spend time worshiping outside of God's kingdom. Before Gideon could lead his people to battle, God's people to battle, he would have to remove the thing that was in the way of God working in him and in God's people. And to do that, he had to abide in a few things, God's presence, God's instruction, and God's guidance, which then led to the much-needed pruning away of the things that were not pleasing to God in Gideon's life and in God's people. This led me to ask the question, what is idolatry? Right? Like, 
We need to ask ourselves this right now. We may not have Asherah poles or altars to bail in our backyards. And if you do, we'll be back um, to your house this afternoon and we will take them down for you. But we may not have these things in our lives like this, like the Bible's talking about. But what is modern day idolatry and worship outside of God? John Thompson, an incredible teacher and Bible theologian has a book called Perseverance and he talks about how idolatry can get in the way where it actually removes you from actually being able to work in God's kingdom. It's fascinating to think that God wants to use people. He wants to partner with people. He wants people to walk in the things of him. But if you have other gods that you are worshiping, it pulls you out of actually being able to do anything. So what is modern day idolatry? Three things. John Thompson says in his book, he says, the first one is, it's the formal kind. It's worshiping other gods. Like Hindus in our world right now, they worship many gods. Gifts to these gods is idolatry. A Buddhist teaching about karma or reincarnation, earning self-instruction, guess what? Is idolatry and worship outside of God's kingdom. A Jehovah Witness actually worshiping a form of Jesus that's actually created from uh, the image of Archangel uh, Michael is idolatry. Someone who practices Wicca, who calls upon the powers of nature is idolatry. And we may step back and say, okay, good. Like, you know what? Like to each their own, do your own thing. But in all honesty, that is so damaging to someone's life because idolatry is where we take this place of a religious behavior and put it towards a false God. And in this, in, in Exodus chapter 20, the sovereign God says, there will be no other gods before me. None. So that's the first kind. Worshiping other gods before the one true God who sent his son to die for you, to go to a grave, to raise three days later and to forgive you for your sins. No other gods before that one. The second one is people seeking powers of spiritual forces. Palm readers, tarot cards, horoscopes, crystals, new age worship of angels, physics, yoga poses, practices of secret societies that pledge allegiance to things other than Jesus. This is all worship. And these forms of idolatry that many good and well-intended Christians even do are unaware of it at times. Christians try to mix in all different kinds of sprinklings. Like, I, I, I got Jesus here, but I got a sprinkle and a dash of this. No, it, it, it can never work like that. It'll never work like that. And if you live a life like that, where it's like, it's, it's Jesus and a sprinkle of little other things like God's people were doing in Gideon's life. It actually says in Judges chapter six, you are doing evil in the sight of your God. It pains God's heart. And the thing is, we do them thinking they may not be harmful, but what ends up happening is they become the one true God that we serve and they become true idols and God is on the sidelines of our lives. And the third one can be real for many of us, secular forms of idol worship. Sex, money, power, comfort, and convenience. I love how one writer says, it's pleasure, possessions, and position. This is the idol of self where we start saying, I don't have time to do these things that I'm called to. Yeah, God gave me words as a young man or a young woman in youth group, or maybe the last couple of weeks, God's been speaking over my life, but like, I don't have time to do that. My kids make me run off my feet and please hear me. Raising kids is not an idol, but it is an idol when you are serving their experiences and it's taken away from the fruitfulness and the fulfillment of God in your life. 
You might be saying, well, I can't spend time with Jesus because my, my Bible time and my prayer time is just like, I'm exhausted when I finally get to that. And you start saying like, I need to sleep in more. I need to be relaxed more. I can't step into the new places or spaces that God wants me to because comfort and convenience have finally crept into my life. And I need that. It's the simple thing of there's a new bar, a new coffee shop, and I need to post about my experiences. I need to show people what I'm doing. I I need a new job because then I'll get paid more and then I'll be able to buy the car. Then I'll be able to buy the house. I'll be happy. Essentially, what I'm trying to get at here is this. Whatever you love, seek, and serve will become your God and you will worship. And let's be very clear here. The things that I've just mentioned, they were never meant or designed to run your life, to worship. The world that God created is beautiful and wonderful. He says, enjoy my creation, but don't let it become your God. But when we become Worshippers of these things of this world and God goes on the sidelines, they become strongholds in our life. And we, and many people, when it finally comes arising in their life, is like, whoa, I have idols. They have a hard time getting rid of them because they've created a sense of safety and protection. They are your crutch. And Mark Sayers in his book, Non-Anxious Presence, says that strongholds are protective structures created by humans to insulate us from external threats and to reduce our anxiety. He goes on to say that the scriptures focus on the strongholds built by humans, noting how they can become an alternative to God. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, says this when it comes to idol worship. He says, the more objects you set your heart upon, the more thorns there are to tear your peace of mind to shreds. And one of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, says this, idolatry is an image of God we make for our own manipulation. So I say this in love. What's in your life right now that may be an idol? What right now in your life is a false God that has created a stronghold or an altar in your life which is sucking the God-given potential that he has for you. Are you, are you willing to ask and seek God for this? Are you willing to take some time and ask God to reveal the idols or the altars that you have in your life? And then are you willing to ask him to prune them away, to destroy them, to burn them? This made me ponder this week. I hear people say all the time, shouldn't say all the time, the, the moments where people open up their lives to me, they, they often use the phrases of, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel God. I, I don't hear God. I, I, like, I try to talk to him, but there seems to be like this, this wall in front of me or a concrete barrier that I have in my life. I, I, where is he? I asked myself this week, this question with that train of thought of mine that many people and myself have said, I started asking the question, what is the idol that many of us have decided to put on the throne of our life? What makes us feel and question the existence and presence of God in our lives? In other words, what false God am I serving, seeking, loving, and worshiping before the creator of the universe? Gideon was called to leadership. God says over his life, oh, mighty man of valor. 
And to step into that kingdom assignment, he had to obey God and get rid of the idol worship within himself and within his community. I realized this week that God would not move until obey, uh, Gideon would obey him in this moment where he would tear down and make it known to him and God's people that they were not in good shape with God. But the thing is about God is he doesn't bring shame or guilt or any of that. He does all of these things in love. In that obedience of Gideon, he would have shown his love upon his people. Like, finally, you are getting in the way of me moving in you and through you. Thank you, Gideon, for moving, almighty man of valor. Which then led me to understand that for many of us, including myself, there are reality checks that every day we need to come before God and take the posture of the choir master in King David's kingdom saying, oh God, search my heart. It actually says, search me, oh God, and know my heart in Psalm 139. I had to do this week. I had to step into this moment with God and and ask him to reveal to me, is there anything in my life? So I took the time at my desk as I was studying and writing and I, I took the energy and the patience before God. I quieted my heart. I closed my eyes. I opened my hands. And last week I asked God, like, is there anything in the way? And then all of a sudden, as I was sitting there, week two of this series popped into my mind where we went through this time of listening to God speak to us. And I believe God gave me in that time two words, heal and transform. As I got before God this week, he said, and I, and I said, search my heart, he revealed to me that I had making an idol out of my own talents and my own abilities to move in my own strength when it comes to these two words that he's spoken over my life, heal and transform. And in this moment, I was kind of shook I, because he started to reveal to me that as I said, search me, he impressed upon my heart that I was doing everything on my own strength. And the image of a light switch came to me and it was revealed to me that I had created an idol out of my my talents and my abilities. I had started to worship how good I was at these things that he had spoken over me. I had cut him off in ways. So what did I have to do? I had to tear down the altar of self-worship. And please hear me here. It's not like I was sitting in my office and I'm like conniving and trying to orchestrate healings and transformation. No, no, no. It was this. It was that as opportunities arose and people come to me seeking advice and healing in Jesus' name, what I was doing is I was walking in my own strength. I wasn't asking the Holy Spirit to work. I was short-circuiting what God wanted to do in that person's life because I had showed up. I didn't say, Holy Spirit, please show up through me and reveal God. And I was trying to turn it on and off like a light switch. And I believe in this moment for me, I experienced what Gideon and many others have experienced. They experienced the freedom of God's guidance and revealing of how do you obey. And when you go into the obedience, God reveals the power and the glory of who he is, not who we are. Freedom. With that being said, we need to go to the end of the story of Gideon. Because at the end of the story, 
We get a glimpse of the freedom in Gideon's life and the fulfillment comes from the ending of his kingdom assignment with the battle of the Midianites. We've learned throughout through this series that Gideon's life, the call was to deliver God's people from the Midianites. And God gave this to him in Judges chapter 6, verse 16. But when you get near the end of the story in chapter 7, you see that he's actually stepping into his leadership. Still a little fearful, but God is with him. He's leaning in on that. And in this moment, he's getting God's people together. He's equipping the men of the army. They're ready to go. And in chapter, in chapter 7, verse 1 to 6, you see that Gideon's men is a number of 32,000 men. They're kind of getting ready to go and they're ready to move forward. And they find out that the Midianites would have been close to 135,000 men. And fear kind of strikes Gideon's people and God's people. There are a few men down, right? 32,000 against 135,000. Like, what are they going to do? And in this moment, God says to Gideon, uh, <laughs> buddy, he doesn't say buddy, but he says, you have too many men. You have too many men. And what he's essentially saying here to Gideon and his people, he's saying, if you win this battle with 32,000 men, you will still be able to boast about the strength of you. And I am the one that is giving you these people. I am giving you the victory. So God does an incredible thing. He takes the 32,000 men and he shaves it down to 300 men through the way that they drink water from a river. From a river. And it says this in this moment, God speaking to Gideon, he says, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all of the other men go. So Gideon in his obedience, it says, go home, go home. And Gideon takes that 300 men, gives them positions and instructions for the battle. And they get to the edge of the battle in the field of where it's gonna happen. And they get ready to go. You can find it in verses 19 to 25. The 300 men step forward and they cry out shouting, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all of the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against the comrade and against all of the army. What is this showing us? Here's what it's showing us. It's revealing to us the promise of God's presence, the power of his proclamation over someone's life. And when they walk in obedience, many will know the power and the glory of God. This moment when they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, the fright, uh, the fear of the Midianites just heightened all of the way. And what ended up happening, it created so much chaos that they took the swords upon themselves and the men of Gideon didn't even have to do a thing. They just walked in obedience, crying out about the glory of God and the victory that they were going to have through God. That's what it shows us. And for us today, we need to know that as we start walking in obedience into our kingdom assignment, it brings glory to God, not to ourselves. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, that the light that shines inside of you is not for yourself, but it is to shine and show the glory of God. That's my paraphrase of it. And as the light shines out, 
It will be attractive and people will look into your life and say, what is going on? And you'll be able to say, it is not I on my own strength. It is the will of God in my life that he's with me. He's spoken over me and I need to walk in obedience. And when you do that, the fear goes down and the light of Christ goes up and many will be attracted by it and they'll wonder why. It doesn't happen through living your best life. Not at all. It's about a life that shines the light of God so others are drawn towards him. In essence, our kingdom assignment is about being a conduit of God's work. Like Gideon, it begins to remove the things of our lives. And as we do remove the things of our lives that are hindering the light of Jesus, hindering the light of the work of God, we see the glory of God prevail. Victory. So as I reflect on my own journey this week, and I encourage you to reflect on your journey, I recognize how even good things that come from God, like talents and abilities, can become idols when we relied upon on my own and not of God. The freedom and growth I've experienced came not from my own efforts, but from tearing down the self-worship and reconnecting with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Almighty God. The story of the 300 men and the victory over the Midianites unveils the fruit of Gideon's obedience and trust in God's guiding plan. Yes, in unconventional ways and leadings and nudges and teachings like this help us see that the true victory comes from when we align ourselves with his purpose and relying on his strength rather than our own. So as we wrap up this series, to live a life that is fearless. Let's commit to dismantling the altars of fear and idolatry in our lives. Let's echo and cry out like Gideon's 300 men, recognizing that our ultimate victory is not by our own might, but by God's. May we courageously step into kingdom assignments, empowered by the unwavering presence and guidance of God, the creator of the universe, where we can stand together and proclaim a sword for the Lord and for us. Peace and grace be with you.